All right, well, good morning. Hope you guys are doing well this morning. Uh, Thanksgiving is coming up this week, so hopefully you guys are looking forward to that. And as we sung songs of, of thanks this morning, we do have much to give thanks for um, as believers in Christ. And so we're gathered here this morning to do that, to thank and to praise God for who He is and what He does for us. Now this morning we are continuing in our series, Align, a church aligned with God's will. And, and this morning we are looking at 2 Chronicles chapter 7, and we'll be looking at verses 11 through 22. 2 Chronicles chapter 7, verses 11 to 22. Chronicles is in the fir- front part of your Bible, it's in the Old Testament. We just got finished with the series through the first couple chapters of Revelation at the very end. Now we're we're going over to the Old Testament, um, Second Chronicles. It comes after Kings and before Ezra and Nehemiah. It's just kind of tucked in there. One of the historical books of the nation of Israel. Well, let's go to the Lord in prayer, and then we will dive into today's message. God, we come to you this morning thankful for this opportunity to gather together as a church, to open your word and to learn from it. And Lord, as we look at this passage this morning, we ask that you would help us to learn how we might experience renewal and revival as a community of believers. And God, help us to take this message delivered to to Solomon and the nation of Israel and to appropriate it to ourselves, Lord. Help us to understand how to do that, how it applies to us as the church, and, and how we might utilize this so that we are continually seeing renewal in our midst. And this we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, fall is always such a nice time of year. Uh, Yesterday was beautiful if you guys were were outside. I spent a lot of time outside on a walk with the family and uh, getting the yard and the house ready for Thanksgiving and and all of that, and, and it's a beautiful time of year, especially as a photographer. The leaves are changing colors, the, the temperature is cooler, the, the, the light is not as harsh as it is in the summertime. It's just a nice time of year for taking pictures. And while the fall is a nice time of year, you have this changing backdrop, and the, and the leaves, they, they provide this, this colorful backdrop for you. But but the one thing that happens after that, that short period of time where you see these just awesome colors in the trees is the leaves begin to fall. And when you look out, you don't see that beautiful backdrop anymore. Instead, what you see are a bunch of twigs out there, just nothing. And if you are someone who has a lot of trees in your yard, this is really not that great of a time for you because then you got to spend a lot of time doing yard work in your yard, cleaning up all those leaves. And that really doesn't happen overnight. It takes time depending on how many trees you have. Last night I cut the grass in our yard and there were some, some leaves out there and thankfully I don't have to bag all these. I can mulch them. But then I, I walked out this morning and, and there were leaves on the ground again. And so I have to mulch them again. And so you rush to get all of this done before winter sets in. When winter comes, it's, it's cold outside, right? The sky is, is gray. The, the cold wind cuts right through you. On most winter days, you do not want to be outside at all. If you haven't guessed, winter is not my favorite time 
of year. I do not like to be cold. I'd rather be hot than cold. The only thing that I like about winter, the only thing that, that redeems it a little bit for me is I can sit by a nice warm fire with a cup of coffee and a book. I, I, like, I like doing that. But other than enjoying the fire, there's nothing that, that I like about winter at all. The sun goes down early. It's cold outside. It's gray. It's just a drab time of year. But after a long, cold winter, one thing that you have to look forward to is spring. And when spring finally arrives, the temperatures, they, they begin to warm up. The sun stays up longer. You actually enjoy being outside. And it seems like in just a matter of days, once spring hits, new leaves and new growth begins on the trees. That they're, they're no longer these twigs, but now you have this nice green growth. Spring is a time of renewal for all of creation. It is spring that we look forward to after a long, cold winter. The same is true in churches. Oftentimes after a long, cold winter, spring will rise. A time of renewal will take place in that church. Fresh growth begins to happen. And just as we are excited when, when, when winter finally ends, the church grows excited as they begin to see new growth and, and renewal and revival taking place as they enter into a time of spring. In our text this morning, God is speaking to Solomon, one of the kings of the nation of Israel, and he has built the Lord a temple, just as God said to his father David that his son Solomon would build this temple, and so he has built this temple, and he has also built himself a palace. And after this time takes place, God comes to Solomon, and God begins to, to speak to Solomon, and he tells King Solomon how he is to lead his people if they find themselves in a long, cold winter. God provides instruction in how they might see new growth. And even though this is a message that was given to King Solomon thousands and thousands of years ago, this is a message that is applicable to us today. It, it reveals how we might experience new growth, what we can do in order to see renewal in our churches. And how do we do that? How do we experience continual renewal? Well, let's look at the text and see what the Lord has for us here. Beginning in verse 11, says, Thus Solomon finished the house of the Lord and the king's house. All that Solomon had planned to do in the house of the Lord and in his own house, he successfully accomplished. Then the Lord appeared to Solomon in the night and said to him, I have heard your prayer and have chosen this place for myself as a house of sacrifice. When I shut up the heavens so that there is no rain or command the locusts to devour the land or send pestilence among my people, my people who are called by my name humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven and I will forgive their sin and heal their land. Now my eyes will be opened and my ears attentive to the prayer that is made in this place. For now I have chosen and consecrated this house that my name may be there forever. My eyes and my heart will be there for all time. And as for you, if you will walk before me as David your father walked, doing according to all that I have commanded you and keeping my statutes and my rules, then I will establish your royal throne as I covenanted with David your father, saying, You shall not lack a man to, to rule Israel. But... 
If you turn aside and forsake my statutes and my commandments that I have set before you and go and serve other gods and worship them, then I will pluck you up from my land that I have given you and this house that I have consecrated for my name. I will cast out of my sight and I will make it a proverb and a byword among my all peoples. And at this house, which was exalted, everyone passing by will be astonished and say, Why has the Lord done this to this land and to this house? Then they will say, because they abandoned the Lord, the God of their fathers who brought them out of the land of Egypt and laid hold on other gods and worshipped them and served them. Therefore, He has brought all this disaster on them. Go to the Lord in prayer with me. God, we thank You for this text. As we walk through this, God, Help us, Lord. Help us to apply this to us, God. And to understand how this applies to us. And this we pray. Now, I know that many of you have heard at least a portion of this text before. I have in mind verse 14. It, it comes up on your social media probably all of the time, especially this time of year with this election, right? If my people who are called by my name humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven and will forgive their sins and heal their land. Now, in order to understand this verse and how it applies, we have to understand the context. And I say that because I believe this verse is, is misused. I believe this is a text that is, that is misappropriated, a text that is taken out of context regularly. That's not to say this is not a promise for us in this message. There is a promise for us in this message. There's application for us, for us as the church. But probably not in the way that you've heard in the past, probably not in the way that, that typically this text gets thrown around. And so let's do this. Let's, let's consider the context first. And the context tells us that, that God has come and God is speaking to the king of the nation of Israel. He's speaking to Solomon after Solomon has finished building the temple, after Solomon has finished building his palace. Verse 11 again, Thus Solomon finished the house of the Lord and the king's house. And then skip down a little bit. Then the, the Lord appeared to Solomon in the night and said to him, I heard your prayer and have chosen this place for myself as a sacrifice, as a house of sacrifice. And so God comes and God, he, he specifically speaks to Solomon, who is the king of the nation of Israel. And, and God tells Solomon what his hopes are for the nation of Israel. And we, and we see what his hopes are for the nation of Israel as they are presented in a negative way in verse 19. So look there, he says, But if you turn aside and forsake my statutes and my commandments that I have set before you and go and serve other gods and worship them, then I will pluck you up from the land that I have given you and this house that I have consecrated for my name, I will cast out of my sight and I will make it a proverb and a byword among all peoples. And so God is telling us here in this negative way what his hope is for the nation of Israel. See, the positive aspect of that is that they would continue to follow God, they would continue to be aligned with his will, and they would actually be a light to the nations instead of a byword to the nations. God hopes that they will be a light to the nations. And so then we have to ask ourselves, well, well, how can they continue 
to be a light for the nations because that's what God is trying to get across here. How they can continue to be a light for the nations, how they can continue to to be in the promised land, how the temple can continue to be the place where God is, is meeting with them. And so how can they continue to be a light to the nations? Well, by continuing to follow God and aligning themselves with his will. Verse 19 again, if you turn aside and forsake my statutes and my commandments that I have set before you, and you serve other gods, then I will pluck you up from the land. You see, he's saying, look, if you turn aside, this is going to happen. If you continue to align yourself with my will, if you continue to serve me faithfully and exclusively, then you can remain in this land. So it's by aligning themselves with his word. But we also learn that, that God knows man. God knows that that we are rebellious people, right? Since Adam and Eve, we have been rebelling against God. We have been bucking the system that, that he has put in place. He knows that we are going to sin against him. And because of our tendency to sin, God's judgment will inevitably fall on the nation of Israel. And so he says this in verse 13. Not, not if, but notice when. When I shut up the heavens so that there is no rain, or command the locusts to devour the land, or send pestilence among my people. Not when, but if. He's saying, look, judgment is going to come. There's going to come a time when I judge you, nation of Israel. I know who you are. I know that you're going to rebel against me. I know that you're going to serve other gods. I know you're going to be led astray by false witnesses and false prophets. You're not going to worship me exclusively. And so there's going to come a time when judgment comes on this nation. But there's hope. God does not forsake His people. Verse 14, If my people, after this judgment comes, if my people who call on my name humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven and forgive their sin and heal their land. In verse 15, He promises that that his eyes and his ears are always going to be open to them. He's, now my eyes will be open and my ears attentive to the prayer that is made in this place. So even though they are rebellious people, even though God is going to bring judgment on this nation, God has promised that he is going to be attentive to them and he will not forsake them. And God will not forsake them because Israel is God's covenant people. In other words, they're the people that God has determined to attach himself to. He's promised to be their God and for them to be his people. And his desire for those who are his people is for them to be a light to the nations. He wants them to show the nations what it looks like to have this special relationship with him, the benefits and the blessings that come from that special relationship so that the nations will peer in and they will say, I want to be a part of that nation. I want that to be my God. Look how he cares for his people. Look how he doesn't forsake them. Look how he blesses them. I want to be a part of that nation. I want that to be my God. And so we see then that God knows man. He knows that they are going to sin. He knows that's going to happen. And knowing there's going to be a time of sin, God tells Solomon, Look, here is what you need to do. Here is how you need to lead the nation so that they will experience a time of renewal. 
so they can fulfill their purpose as a light to the nations. See, the context of this passage reveals that that this message is specifically to the nation of Israel. The context does not reveal that this passage is specifically to the United States of America. That is how this passage often gets misused. That is the way this is, is applied. It is applied directly to the United States, as if the United States is, is God's chosen nation. Now, I would agree with you that, that the United States was certainly founded on Christian principles, but that doesn't make the United States a Christian nation. It certainly leaned more Christian in the past. There's certainly this Judeo-Christian ethic that that's kind of underlines th- things in the United States, but, but that doesn't mean that the U.S. is a Christian nation. The Judeo-Christian ethic that, is, that has been this baseline ethic in the United States for so long is, is quickly fading. came across a, a study from Barna in 2015. Well, they said almost half, 44% of Americans were characterized as post-Christian. And that was up 7% from two years earlier, a survey they did in 2013. Now, I wasn't able to find a study for, for 2020 or 2018 or 2019 or, or anything like that. They had some other studies that they had done. They, they kind of moved away from this type of study, but they started focusing specifically on individual cities as they moved past 2015. But if the trend is 7% increase every two years, we've certainly you know, gone past the 50% mark. So I think it's safe to say that, that we have entered into a, a post-Christian time, particularly as postmodernism is, is gripping this nation. And we can see that, right? Even just within in the election and all of the, the platforms that are out there, these are very postmodern ideas that are being put forth. And not only do we live in a post-Christian nation, but not everyone in the United States are, are Christian nor does everybody in the United States want to identify as a Christian. Not only are there people who identify as atheists who would say, I don't, I don't even believe in the existence of a God. There are many people who are agnostic, who have no idea what God they want to, to attach themselves to. They're still seeking and, and exploring. But there are also people of, of other religions. I mean, this is a melting pot. The, the, the nations are coming to the U.S. This is a melting pot of, of other religions. And then you have people who would just characterize themselves as nuns, N-O-N-E-S. Not, not the Catholic, but N-O-N-E-S. They, they, they have no religious affiliation. That doesn't mean that they're an atheist. They just have no religious affiliation. Our nation is not a Christian nation. It's not made up of God's people because everyone in our nation is not a Christian God is not speaking to the United States in this particular text. He is speaking to Solomon regarding the nation of Israel. He's not calling the people of the United States to repent and turn back to him and he's going to heal this land. Well, this doesn't mean that this text does not specifically apply to us. But as I said, there, there, is, there is application, but not in the way that is typically applied not to the nation as a whole. There is application rather to the people of God. And how we define the people of God is is crucially important. 
You see, those who have repented of their sins, and we're going to talk about repentance here in a moment, but those who have repented of their sins and believe in Jesus as their Lord and as their Savior, those are the people of God. Those are people who are Christians who are actively and purposefully following Jesus every single day. Those people who have aligned themselves with God's will that is found in God's word and believe that Jesus is the one who has come, who has paid the penalty for their sins, who has died on their behalf on the cross and resurrected on the third day. Those are people who are Christians. And I would bet that that most, if not all, of the people in this room here today are not of Jewish descent. We are what you might consider Gentiles, people who are outside of the Jewish nation. Now, thankfully, there, there is a place in God's Word, in God's kingdom for those who are Gentiles. Those who believe in Jesus as their Lord and as their Savior are connected to one another through a common belief. Ryan read this passage during our Scripture reading time in Galatians 28, 3.28. There is neither Jew nor Greek. There is neither slave nor free. There is no male or female. For you all are one in Christ. And if you are Christ's, then you are Abraham's offspring, heirs according to the promise. And so it's here that we begin to see that that God's desire for the nation of Israel to be a light to the nations and to draw people in begins to to take place. It begins to, to happen. Right? We, the Gentiles, who are outside of the nation of, of Israel, believe in Jesus and we are connected to one another through our common belief in Jesus. Amen. To bring the Gentiles to salvation through the witness of the Jews has always been God's plan. Earlier in Galatians 3, Paul writes in verse 7, Know then that it is those of faith who are the sons of Abraham. And the Scripture, foreseeing that God would justify the Gentiles by faith, Preach the gospel beforehand to Abraham, saying, In you shall all the nations be blessed. So then those who are of faith are blessed along with Abraham, the man of faith. And so as God is making this covenant with Abraham, he is saying, In you all the nations are going to be blessed. God has always had a plan for the Gentiles. His plan has always been that there will be one people who come to faith through the witness of the Jews. In Christ, we are all one. But now in Christ Jesus, you who once were far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ, for he himself is our peace, who has made us both one and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility. Paul writes that in Ephesians chapter 2, verses 13 and 14. You see, instead of there being two people, there are one people and one people in Christ. And as the people of God in Christ, the promises that God made to Israel extend to us, the church. And so while this is a a specific promise given to a specific people in a specific time, it is a general principle for God's people of all time. And we can say that because it extend, if, it, if it extends this principle to the church, then, then we see these similarities. There, there are similarities between the church and there are similarities between, or there are similarities in the, the church in Israel. 
We see this taking place. Like Israel, there are times when the church gets off course. There are times when the church does not align itself with with God's will. We just looked at the seven churches of Revelation and we saw that that all but, but two of those churches were not aligned with God's will in some form, fashion, or another. They were not aligned in some way. There, there are many ways in which the church gets off course, right? They might lose their first love. Their affections for Jesus cools. Instead of pursuing Jesus, they begin to pursue something other than Jesus. They might pursue idols or of comfort or money or, or possessions or pleasure. Churches might also be led astray by false prophets and, and false teaching. They begin to latch on to something like that and, and they begin to pursue that rather than pursuing Jesus where they allow this to lead them astray and they're not, they're not being Bereans. They're not going back to God's Word and checking what God's Word has to say. And, and so people come in with this, this teaching that, that sounds biblical. It uses biblical words. Maybe they even use some Scripture but it's not aligned with God's will. It's not aligned with the whole counsel of God's word and they begin to be led astray. Or, or maybe they're not, fully, they're not willing to fully align themselves with God's will. They're, they're willing to do some things that God's word says, but, but, but there are some things maybe that make them uncomfortable or things that are, that are more difficult to do. And so they decide, no, I, I don't want to do that. I know, I know that God's word says that, but, but I don't want to do it. Or maybe... There are some churches who prize tradition over following Jesus and aligning themselves with God's Word. There are many ways in which a church gets off course. And just as God calls Israel to return to Him, Jesus calls the church to return to Him. And so how can we do that? How can the church return to Jesus? Well, churches can return to Jesus by repenting. Those churches that repent, turning back to Jesus, aligning themselves with, with God's will, will be used by Him as a light for the gospel in their city and to the nations. And just as Israel, those churches that, that repent, will see renewal. They will emerge from this cold, dark, long winter to see fresh vibrant growth. They will once again be a light to the nations. They will once again be a light to the surrounding communities in which they live. But again, in order for us to, to, to see renewal and not to become a, a byword among the nations or a byword among the city in which the church has been planted, repentance must take place. You see, repentance precedes renewal. And that leads us to ask the question, well, what is Repentance. What does it mean for us to repent? How do we repent? Well, God answers those two questions for us here. First, what does it mean for us to repent? Well, repentance simply, simply means that we turn back, right? We're, we're walking in one direction and we do an about face. We do a 180 and we begin to walk in another direction. And the direction that, that, we're, that we're walking in that we need to repent of is we're walking away from God. We're walking towards our own way of doing things. We're walking towards the way that the world does things. And we decide, as the Spirit works in our life, that, hey, I shouldn't be, be following my own way. This is what got us messed up in the first place. 
I shouldn't be following the, the world's way of doing things. I shouldn't be following the world's wisdom. Instead, I need to follow God's word. I need to follow God's wisdom. I need to align myself with God's will. And so we, we turn back and we make this purposeful move to begin following God again. Or even for the first time, if you are first repenting of your sins and believing in Jesus as your Lord and Savior, right? There's got to be this time where you quit following your own way and the world's way of doing things and you turn to follow God's way. And that's when we come to salvation, but then that is also a, a continual habit that we have to have because we oftentimes get off track. We oftentimes begin to allow the world to, to pull us in. And so we've got to have this continual repentance that is taking place. So then how do we do that? How do we repent? Well, repentance takes place as God describes in verse 14. He says, If my people who are called by my name humble themselves, pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven and will forgive their sins and heal their land. So he tells us first that, that we've got to humble ourselves. We've got to recognize that, that we don't have all the answers, that, that it is not us who can direct our own lives, that we are not the end of all things, that there is a creator, that there is a, a king who we should be following. And we have to recognize that. We have to humble ourselves and say, there is someone who is wiser and greater and more powerful and knows much more than me. And we humble ourselves and admit that. Amen. He tells us that we must pray and seek his face. You see, when we, are, when we pray to God, we are submitting ourselves to God. We are saying, God, I cannot do it. I am not powerful enough to do that. Instead, you are powerful enough. I am not wise enough. I am not the one who is in control. You are the one who is in control. You are the one who is wise. And so we pray to the Lord. We seek his face. We, we seek his wisdom. We seek a relationship with him. We seek to know him both personally and corporately as a church so that we can then align ourselves with his will. He tells us we turn from our wicked ways. Again, repentance involves returning, not just from anything, but, but from that which is, is wicked. God is saying, when you, don't, when you don't follow me, when you don't align yourself with my will, you are wicked. You are doing those things that are wicked. You're morally bad or wrong. And so we must turn from walking away from God and turn back to him. We humble ourselves. We pray and seek his faith. We turn from these wicked ways. And only when we turn from our sin, only when we have repented, will we see renewal just as the nation of Israel saw healing. Only then will we be used by God to be a light to the nations and the community in which we, we live instead of being a byword to, our, to the nations, our own community. The church that repents will see renewal. And a church that is experiencing renewal is a church that is aligned with God's will, one that is operating according to God's word. Repentance brings us out of that long, cold winter to a fresh spring of renewal and revival. And that idea brings us to another word that I believe is often misused, and that word is revival. And so what does it mean to experience renewal or revival? You see, revival, at least as I was growing up, at least in my experience, 
from church. Revival is, is often associated with this fiery, charismatic, you know, preacher who's brought in for a few days, uh, even for a week, and he just, you know, hellfire and brimstone preaching from the Bible. Everybody's going to hell. Everybody needs to turn back to Jesus. And the desired result is that people would, would make these commitments to Jesus. And sometimes that happens. Sometimes those commitments are real, but oftentimes those commitments are just the result of emotionalism. Now, I can't remember who was wearing it, but, but when I went to the, the students' Friendsgiving uh, thing that they had the other night, and I ate some of the desserts, and they were pretty amazing. Um, so I, I knew they were having food, so I, I went over there and and it was, it was good. And I, I was sitting there and I was talking. And I didn't, I didn't make mention of it when I was in conversation with somebody else. But I looked over and I saw one of the students. I don't remember who it was. But they had this t-shirt on. And this t-shirt, and, and I believe this is what it said. And maybe they can correct me afterwards. But, but it said, Jesus, not just a camp thing. Not just a camp thing, right? The message of that, that shirt is true, right? Jesus is not just a camp thing, but oftentimes that's what Jesus becomes, right? We, we send our students off to camp. They have this amazing preacher who comes in. They're there for a week. They're doing Bible studies. They're hearing preaching. They're singing. They're worshiping. And then people make this commitment to Christ. And they're on fire for Jesus when they come back. But then a week later, going back to school, they're hanging out with their friends. They're, they're hanging out with their sports teams and all this stuff. And guess what? Nothing is different. All the commitments they made at camp are just there. They're at camp. It's just a camp thing. Now I'm back. I'm in the real world. I'm back with my school. I'm good. Until camp comes around next year and you're going to make another commitment. And they're going to be this and more high for Jesus and be on fire for Him when they come back. You see, Jesus is not just a camp thing. Jesus is not just a revival thing either. Now, I'm not saying that having somebody come in and preach a revival is wrong. I'm not saying that, that having the kids go off to student camp is wrong or anything like that. Don't, don't hear. That's not what I'm saying. What I'm saying is that it, if it's just an emotional experience or an emotional high that, that we are having, well, that's not true revival. That's not true renewal at all emotionalism is not revival commitments that are made based on emotionalism they end up fading over time and oftentimes yes in in a period of renewal there is an outpouring of people who come to faith in christ you look at the great awakenings in in history there were periods of time where, where there are a lot of people who came to faith in christ in a short period of time but what makes those awakenings different from emotional revivalism is that those times of renewal were preceded and they were sustained by a commitment to align oneself with God's will that is found in His Word. Amen. You see, if we want to see true revival, if we want to see true renewal that doesn't just last a week, that doesn't just last a month, that, that, that is not just the product of emotionalism, we must be a church that is constantly seeking to align itself with God's will. Then and only then will we see continual renewal. As a church, we must always be reforming ourselves. We must always be looking to see, are we aligned with God's will in every area of our lives, every area of our ministries, in our church? 
as well as we have to constantly assess and say, do the structures in the church that we have in place, the ministries that we have in place, the way those ministries operate and the way those ministries run, are they designed to help people be aligned with God's will? Are they designed to help create continual renewal and continual revival in someone's life? And if we're aligning ourselves with God's will. We have structures that, that are in place that consistently point others to God's word and help them align themselves with God's will week in and week out. Then we will be a church that experiences continual renewal. We won't have to manufacture emotional revivals, nor will we enter into periods of winter. You see, we, we shouldn't be after the product of emotional highs and said we should be after true renewal that can only come from a transformed heart and the only way that people's heart is going to be truly transformed is if they encounter the living God who is in his word and so it is as we continually present God's word to people as we continually help people to see that, that it is God's will that we should be following that it is Jesus that is who is better than everything this world has to offer us that that Jesus is the one who we should follow and until we we are continually doing that and we have we have structures and ministries in place where that is happening week in and week out then we won't see continual renewal but if we if we are doing those things then we will see continual renewal and that's what we're after you see emotionalism doesn't reach the nations emotionalism does not reach our our neighbors rather a heart that is truly transformed and a people that are aligned with god's will found in god's word does and that's the way that, that we can see continual renewal by consistently week in, week out, daily, focusing on God's Word, consistently aligning ourselves with God's will found in God's Word. That's how we see continual renewal. That's how we keep ourselves in a period of spring, how we keep ourselves out of that, that cold winter that nobody wants to enter into. We must commit as a church to consistently align ourselves with God's will found in God's Word if we're going to see continual renewal and be used by him to be a light to the nations. And so, yes, verse 14, if my people who are called by my name humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven and I will forgive their sins and heal their land. But God is not talking about America. God is talking about the church. Amen. And when we repent, when we turn to him and follow him, what is outlined in his word when we continually align ourselves with his will then we will see continual renewal and when the church experiences continual renewal then our nation actually has hope not because we're god's nation but because god's people are doing what god's people are supposed to do god's people are aligned with his will and they're they're living as a light to the community in which they live and it's then that our nation experiences hope it's then that our nation can experience healing as we as we draw other people to jesus and as their hearts are transformed and as their lives are transformed and as they have hope to look forward to rather than no hope that the world offers us a church that exists in a state of continual renewal is best positioned to be used by jesus to transform the community as they make disciple making disciples 
of all peoples. So remember, Jesus builds his church, and he uses those churches that continually seek renewal as a community. And so church, let's purpose today to, to always be a church that is seeking renewal as we continually align ourselves with God's will that is found in his word. And this morning, if you're here today and you, you don't know Jesus, well, you can know him today. We see that Jesus comes and he, and he dies for us. He dies so that we might experience life. And it's Jesus that can truly transform your heart. It's Jesus that can give you hope for all of eternity. If you would repent of your sins, if you would turn to him, if you would believe that Jesus is your Savior and not yourself, not anything in this world, but Jesus is your Savior, then you can have true hope. In a moment, I'm going to pray, and Scott's going to come, and and we're going to sing, and we're going to have an opportunity to respond to this message. And so let's go to the Lord in prayer, and then let's respond. God, we thank you for this day. We thank you for this opportunity to gather together as a church. And Lord, we ask that you would help us to be a church that is, that is aligned with your will, so that we are seeing continual renewal, so we don't enter into those periods of winter, so that we are continuing seeing fresh growth week in and week out in our people. Lord, help us, God, to be a light to this community and a light to the nations. And Lord, if there's someone here today who doesn't know you, we ask, God, that you would work in their life, that you would show them that that Jesus truly is the Savior of the world, that there is no hope outside of him. And this we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.